I can't even play the song in the podcast? You can't mention the name either. Okay, I want a lawyer to, uh, to look this over. I am a lawyer, and it's all there in Section 12, Part 15. The very mention of the name will cause the song to play in people's heads for weeks. It's cruel and unusual punishment. Look, explain to me how I'm supposed to tell a story about why everybody graduates to the same song without even mentioning its name. A challenge, to be sure. Uh, maybe I could just, uh, I'm a few bars? I'll be right over there listening to your every word. You know, I think you're being a little pompous under the circumstances. And for the record, this is not that song. This is The Entertainer by Scott Joplin. I'm going to open the show now. From Hollywood, it's out of my mind. I'm Jay Douglas, and in episode 30, a little-known answer to a question that stumped two college-trained musicologists and, as it turned out, my music-loving chiropractor. Why do we graduate to that song? June 27, 1905 was a fine spring day on the campus of Yale University. It was also graduation day, and at the insistence of music professor Samuel Sanford, the music department was awarding an honorary doctorate degree to one Sir Edward Elgar. Elgar's not exactly a household name, but he was a composer with a small but very, very loyal following. Lots of people get honorary degrees for various reasons, but to me, Elgar deserved his. Not only because of his work, but because of how it came about. Elgar was a nerd. Well, that's what we call him today, but in the late 19th and early 20th centuries when he was composing... There wasn't such a word. He was merely unusual. Elgar taught himself music, and then probably because he had some spare time, he taught himself science as well. Imagine this. There's Elgar, sitting in his chair, stuck on something he's writing. What does he do? He stands up and passes a few hours puttering around in his home chemistry laboratory. No music room is complete without one. And while he's mixing up a batch of potassium permanganate, you can almost hear him humming a little tune. Now, now. Sorry. And when chemistry wasn't relaxing enough, he unwound. No, no, he really unwound by disassembling, cleaning, and reassembling his watch. He did that while he was composing Falstaff. And when he was done, he duly recorded his actions in the margins of his manuscript. I'm pretty sure he was humming then, too. I don't think so. In January 1902, Elgar became the first person to find himself with that song in his head. And to no surprise, it wouldn't go away. It also didn't go anywhere. His attempts at turning it into a symphony, zippo, nothing. By mid-year, he'd moved on and wrote a march. And that song, that song became a little tune that became a trio within the march. He called it the, uh, that name, March. All right, back to the Yale campus. Horatio Parker, head of the music department, was also the organist for the ceremonies and had a great idea. With the composer there, why not play Elgar's March as the recessional? I mean, what could go wrong? It's, it's, it's not as if, oh, some lawyer was going to get involved. Along with Elgar, distinguished members of science, law, and divinity were also receiving their honorary doctorates that day. And all this hubbub? It came from a large, influential group of dignitaries. They eventually went back to their respective academic institutions and they said, when we have commencement, let's use this great song we heard at Yale. The effects were of biblical proportions. And so it came to pass that these universities and colleges doth use it over and over and over and over and over. 
After that, every time he walked into a bar, if there was a band in the corner, they started playing the song. Elgar once wrote he wished he'd never composed a song. And right now with that lawyer here, me too. And that's the story I call A Little Traveling Music. My thanks to Arthur Reynolds, founder of Rexon Limited and a true Edward Elgar expert, for many of the details in this story. And thanks to Rockin' Dave Milberg, host of the Rare and Scratchy Rock and Roll podcast, for keeping today's show free of any brain-damaging music. And you'll get my bill in the mail tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Dave's also a real attorney. Nevertheless, if you enjoy little-known stories about rock and roll music, listen to his podcast. You can find it on iTunes. Meanwhile, I'll have another little-known story about well-known stuff next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Eastern. We'll chat then. I'm Jay Douglas. Out of My Mind is produced by Penny Summers and is a copyrighted production of the Theater of Your Mind, Incorporated, Hollywood, California. <laughs>